welcome to episode 62 of Little Cabinets, my self-help bookshelf. Little Cabinets is a bi-weekly podcast all about knitting, mental health, advocacy, my new mama journey, and life happenings here in the wilds of Alaska with a little bit of yoga sprinkled throughout. I'm your host, Emily. I'm a knitter, crafter, mental health therapist, and explorer of my home state of Alaska. This week's episode contains administration, raise a cuppa, on the couch, on the shelf, personal skill set, a time for Hugo, and contemplation corner. So sit back with a cuppa of your choice and let's talk about knitting and my personal list of my go-to self-help books. Administration. Well, my friends, you can find me on the interwebs as Anders Mill Knits. You can find me there on Instagram and on Ravelry. You can also find an account that I have of Little Cabin Knits AK um, on Instagram. Rarely post there. I really only post there when I have a new episode out. So, you know, not exactly an exciting account to follow, but if you would, that'd be great. You can also find me on YouTube as Between Knits and Pearls, and hopefully we will have another episode coming out before Christmas, so be looking for that. You can also find all the show notes on BetweenKnitsAndPearls.com, and I highly suggest going over there because I have everything linked that we talk about today in personal skill set, i.e. talking about my my go-to self-help bookshelf list um, all linked there. And the reason why I would love for you to do that is because I am now an official uh, Amazon affiliate. I think that's the way. Well, they also call it an Amazon associate. I don't I don't know the difference, really. Um, but it means that anytime you click on a link from my website, um, betweenknitsandpearls.com, that takes you over to Amazon, anything you purchase during that visit will... Um, support the podcast by providing me with a little bit of commission from that, whether you buy the exact product that I linked on my website or not. So so it's a pretty good deal and a really great way for you to, I guess the word is passively support between knits and pearls. So that would be really awesome if you would do that. But if you'd like to support the uh, podcast directly, you can also go to my Ko-Fi account, which is Ko- dash fi.com forward slash little cabin knits and you can provide a direct donation there which again is a great way to do something to do towards the end of the year as we're getting towards the time where we start a new tax year for us and it's totally right offable so there you go um Let's see. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me at littlecabinknitsak at gmail.com. And just so you know, today's episode is a direct response to, I think there was four people who messaged me about this over the last like six or seven months. I've had some emails coming through requesting recommendations on books to read around the mental health field and self-help. So uh, I do read your emails, so go ahead on if you want to message, um, send an email to littlecabinknitsak at gmail.com. We can start a conversation. And lastly, I just want to say thank you to our 
official sponsor of Between um, of Little Cabin Knits and Between Knits and Pearls for that matter. Charming You, Maureen, Maureen, sorry, uh, has an amazing color sense, a wonderful selection of yarns and bases. And personally, I'm going to be talking about this in a minute, but um, I am loving my advent calendar from Charming You. So I think that covers administration. Changing your diaper? Get ready for bed, huh? Uh-huh. You want to say hi to everybody since you can't, can't stay up for the recording? Huh? You want to say hi? Huh? You want to say hi? Yes, my darling. Yeah, let's change your clothes. Oh. Okay. You're not saying much. I'm going to have to tickle you. <laughs> you love that. You love mo- the mommy monster eating her baby boy, huh? Okay, say goodnight to everybody. Yeah. Say night-night. I gotta go to bed now. Oh, just breathe hard, okay? Raise a cuppa. Well, my friends, a lot has happened. And I always say that, don't I? But a lot has happened in the last couple weeks. But first, I want to say happy post-Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas, happy holidays, happy Hanukkah. Uh, to all of you out there as it is the holiday season and I sure hope that you are warm and cozy with your family and friends wherever you are. Uh, Over the last 24 hours here in Anchorage, Alaska, we have gotten, I think the last count was 18 inches of snow. So it's been uh, beautiful. At the beginning of winter, we had quite a lot of snowfall and then it warmed up dramatically. It felt like spring. And most of it melted away, and so we had some some really ugly, um, I think it was, uh, well, all of the month of November, uh, November for sure. It was pretty darn ugly. And now here we are. It's December. It's the time for swishing your feet through the snow and hearing it crunch beneath your toes. It's lovely. And so we've got a huge snowfall to the point that yet today... Uh, classes were canceled, school was canceled, and tomorrow my husband says that they closed the schools as well. So, because we're expecting more, apparently, up to I think another four or six inches. I think. Don't quote me on that, but that's what I think they said. <clears throat> so it's wonderful. I've been holding Jimmy up uh, to the window uh, most of the day today to watch the snowfall and to just look at it. And he, and when we take Watson outside, he gets super excited because he loves the snow and he loves being outside, even when it's nippy out. Speaking of Jimmy, guess who is now 19 pounds? <laughs> 
He is six months and about a week, maybe two weeks old. And he is now 19 pounds. He has almost quadrupled, quadrupled his birth weight. Uh, he was born at six pounds. The next day he went down to five pounds, which is typical for a, a newborn baby. I did not know that until I had Jimmy. You know, they tell you in the hospital because I was freaking out. <laughs> so I was like, what happened to my baby? Uh, but anyway, um, so he has been gaining the weight back and growing, growing, growing. He's not a chubby kid. He is just long and his bones. I was talking to mom this morning. We were on Face, I uh, know, FaceTime because Jimmy loves to see grandma and grandpa um, on the screen. And so we were chatting this morning and uh, mom said, you know, he's got, he must have really dense bones like his grandpa. And I said, I sure hope so because I really don't want him to have you know, the, these rickety bones that I have that break easily. I'm the only one of my siblings that has ever had a broken bone. And uh, I attribute that to my mother's side of the family because my father's side, oh boy, howdy, they're sturdy folk. And um, so, and also, you know, Mr. Radio is the, my giant of a man and he's really strong, especially his bones. And so I think Jimmy is just, yeah, he's just growing really good bones. He's just so sturdy. And he's been uh, really anxious to stand up on his own. So in his bouncer, he's constantly standing up or bouncing in there. And he's just, uh, and even when we hold him, he's always trying to stand up. He's also sitting up on his own for the most part. You know, he's still a little rickety here and there, uh, but he's sitting up and he's really engaging with us. And boy, howdy, is he a happy boy. Unless, of course, you try to put him down for a nap or to bed. Then he gets a little ornery because he does not want to miss a single thing. Uh, I also really have been enjoying watching him engaging with his toys more and more. Um, yes, he still puts everything in his mouth that he can get his hands on. But he's also really been more engaging in what are the toys outside of something to gnaw on, you know? And so that's been really fun to watch. And this last weekend, we put up our Christmas tree and um, Jimmy had gone to bed. But then as it's been for the last week, he goes to bed for about an hour and a half. And then he'll wake up crying and really upset. And I think it's his, you know, his, his teeth are, you know, his teeth are coming in. So he, you know, he's in pain. Um, so we're, we take care of him and we snuggle him and we put some cream on his, on his gums to help the pain lessen and things like that. But it usually takes him a good couple hours to go back to sleep at that point. Cause you know, he's now all like riled up and he's up and he's like, Oh yes, this is my world. And so this last weekend, we put up the Christmas tree, and uh, he, of course, woke up, and I brought him out, and I sat him in front of the Christmas tree, and I told him the stories of all of the ornaments on our tree, because each and every one of them have great meaning to us, whether I hand-knit them or they were our very first, uh, Mr. Radio and I both have all of the ornaments that we've had throughout our entire lives growing up, and so... We always put in pride of place our very first uh, Christmas ornaments up there. Um, or they were made by a family member. For instance, our Christmas tree topper is not your typical star or angel, but it's a golden wreath with a uh, that's been decorated with some ornaments and a bird that my 
sweet, lovely, and very talented niece Miriam made for us, I think two years ago now. So we have that on there. Maybe maybe one thing I will do this year is knit ourselves an angel because the angel that we had growing up, I think it broke a few years back. I'll have to ask my parents. But that angel was so precious. And the doll itself was a porcelain doll, but I think my mom hand quilted the dress that the angel was in. And it just always meant so much to us. And it was so sweet. So I think I'm going to try and figure that out. It would be a lovely tradition to have that around for my boy as he grows up as well. Um, We found, as per usual, we put up one of the uh, ornaments that has <laughs> come to be one of my favorites, which is something Mr. Radio's mom made him when he was probably maybe 18 months old. It's a picture of Mr. Radio on a sleigh. Uh, well, no. It's a picture of Mr. Radio that she glued onto a sleigh or a sled, you know, an old fashioned sled. And I got it out this year and I was just like, oh, my gosh, my baby boy, Mr. Hoyer's son, looks just like his dad. I just, oh, I loved it so much. So I have a picture of the two of them, uh, of of, uh, little Jimmy uh juxtaposed against his daddy Mr. Radio up on the show notes of between knitsandpearls.com for you to gaze at us. I also have it on my Instagram because of course I couldn't resist posting it on there. Other news we uh spent our Thanksgiving with my parents and had a and my family at large. We, we were just missing one of my siblings who lives down in the lower 48 um, but we had a marvelous time. It was so loud and so wonderful there. I mean, the house was just bursting to the seams between all of my siblings and most of their children were there. We were missing one or two here and there um, because, you know, uh, most of my siblings' children have already grown up. <laughs> I'm very late to the game. I mean, I have one niece that's in her mid-twenties, so, <laughs> uh, you know, she could be Jimmy's mom. <laughs> Actually, quite a few of my, my nieces are old enough to be uh, Jimmy's mom. So it's it's wonderful, though. Uh, again, on my website, I've got a picture of my dad holding Jimmy. They have such a special relationship. It was actually quite the topic of conversation during Thanksgiving about how no matter how upset Jimmy might be, he just immediately relaxes and calms down for Grandpa Melamin. And just, ugh, he just has that connection with my dad uh, that, you know, I'll be honest, I haven't seen with any of my other nieces or nephews. My mom says it was there with pretty much all of them, but there's just something special about this. Uh, Speaking of my dad, he is healing really well. Last time I spoke about how his voice was really hoarse and I was really upset by it. Uh, Just in the past few days, his voice has finally begun to heal. So we're talking over a month out from his surgery. His voice is finally beginning to heal. He still doesn't sound like himself totally, but it also doesn't sound like it is causing him immense pain to say anything. Um... So he's doing really well. 
Uh, he started physical therapy, which of course he doesn't like. And also we're constantly having to tell him to slow down. Um, my mom is always complaining that he's doing too much. And then of course, later in the day, getting um, feeling really exhausted and in pain because of course, my dad just never stops. He's My dad is just like his dad. I mean, my grandpa Melamin, um, even after he stopped working, he cr uh, converted his shed in his backyard into a miniature print shop and continued to use the printing press there until well into his 70s. And then he moved his, um, my dad invited him to move his press into our print shop. And then my grandpa would come in periodically, I'd say once or twice a month, to do a special job for one of his long-standing customers, uh, you know, those that just step, kept around. And my grandpa had a newspaper route. <laughs> he went on all kinds of hikes every day. Uh, I don't think he was hunting into his 70s, but, you know, he was still four-wheeling and all kinds of stuff. He, My grandpa just never stopped until the very end when you know, the, the body just kind of was like, okay, if you're not going to rest, I'm going to force you to rest. And I, my dad is the exact same way. He's just like my, uh, my dad is just like his dad. And it's, I love seeing the vitality of my father. Like even after triple bypass surgery, he is still a vibrant, uh, you know, physically able individual to see him any other way would just absolutely crush me. And it really did, honestly, for the little bit that he was in the hospital and recuperating. Yeah. Uh, for us here at uh, Little Cabinet Central, we got brand new carpet. Oh, it's so luxurious. Oh, my gosh. I love it so much. It's so soft. The cushion underneath is so plump. Uh, I love it. And, um... Yeah, I kind of feel rich. <laughs> Who knew having new carpet would make you feel rich? It is an expensive endeavor, even in our tiny little place. Um, but our old carpet was well over 40 years old and really gross, really gross. And so I was not going to let my little boy start crawling on that carpet. So we made, uh, we saved up the money and then also got, uh, you know, a little bit of help from Lowe's, um, as far as like, you know, financing, um, and stuff to, 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 to make it happen in time. So we are very happy with that. And I think, oh, one last little thing. We, yes, I mentioned we are in December now. So that means we are smack dab in the middle of yarn vent, yarn advent calendar season. It is so fun. Um, I, of course, have my 24 Days of Cheer swap package that I am opening and oh my, every day. And let me tell you guys, my partner this year, Celeste, oh, she is so thoughtful. I love it so much. Okay, so yes, she sent me little uh, mini skeins of yarn every single day from her stash. And she must really like yellow because... Uh, it's been so fun. I've uh, So we're on day seven, and I think four of the days have had some sort of yellow in it, which has been really exciting for me because I don't na naturally gravitate towards that color. Even though I love that color, it just looks horrendous on me um, <laughs> uh, with my skin tone. So I've, I've never really collected any color uh, yarn in the color yellow, but um, 
these minis are just enough that I feel like I could incorporate them into projects and, and still not wash, wash me out. Uh, but on top of that, she knit a little stocking that has a little knitted hook in it as well for each of the days. And I'm assuming since we're now on day seven and I've gotten one every single day so far, I'm assuming that for all 24 days, I'm going to get a little stocking <laughs> and I love them so much. Uh, honestly, they are the perfect size right now to put on Jimmy. And so he might have been wearing these stockings the past couple days. <laughs> and I'm not going to apologize for that. <laughs> it's been wonderful. I love it so much. Otherwise, I also have my advent calendar provided to me graciously by Maureen of Charming You. And boy, howdy, has it delivered. Every single day is a little treasure box and I open it up and I gasp, even on the days that I go on Instagram and I see other people posting their their skein from that day from Charming You, um, pictures just are not doing it justice. And so each time I open it, I'm just like, oh my gosh, the subtlety and yet the depth of color in each one of these is just gorgeous. And they are all true to her inspiration pick, which is a winter sun. I'm assuming it's a sunset, could be a sunrise, but it is, oh, so beautiful. So I am really loving that. And I hope that you're having some yarny, fun adventures, whether it be crafting for the holidays or you have your own yarn vent calendar. I hope that you're uh, enjoying this time and really getting in the the mood um, or the huganess that is this time of year. On the couch. Well, I have two things that I worked on this last couple of weeks. The first one is my marsh. Uh, I have a new marshland sweater by Tin Can Knits. Yes, I knit one for Mr. Radio for our wedding. I call it fondly Mr. Radio's wedding sweater. Uh, but I also, on my last episode of Between Knits and Pearls, I had this aha moment of I should knit Jimmy a miniature version of the Marshland sweater for his first ever Christmas sweater. And of course, I have enough yarn left over because I buy way too much yarn whenever I buy a sweater's quantity of anything. <laughs> so there was that. And of course, I already had the pattern and Tin Can Knits who are the writers behind, or designers behind Marshland, they design patterns all the way from birth through, I think, 4XL for both male and women uh, adults. So I was golden. I had it. So I scrounged all of that out on Thanksgiving Day, and I cast it on, and it was like an old friend, coming back to an old friend. Yes, it's different because I'm knitting the six-month size, but it's also very familiar because the rhythms are the same. The design, for the most part, is exactly the same. You know, of course, they had to exclude some things because, uh, you know, um, a male adult sweater is going to be is going to have a lot more surface area to include more color work in it than a six month old sweater. So, 
Uh, but it's been so much fun. I love it so much. And on my website of com, I do have the link to my current ra- my Ravelry project page, but I also have the link to the Tin Can Knits website. You can purchase all of their patterns from their website. You never have to go to Ravelry if that site is uncomfortable for you. But what yarn am I using? You guessed it, the exact same yarn that I use for Mr. Radio. So I'm using Knit Picks Provincial Tweed. I am I had to cut back on some of the colors that I was using, again, because it's a six-month size. So the main color is gray. Then we have the alternating colors of Caramel Frozen Pond, which is blue, and Salsa Verde, which is green. And yeah, that's it, right? Yeah, that's it. Um, so... Uh, I've been going to town. I've got I'm I've knit all the way down to the bottom of the body. I just have to do the color work portion of the bottom of the body, which includes some ribbing, and then I get to work on the sleeves. And I am on track to have this sweater done for Christmas, and I am so excited to start this transition. Um, I was introduced to a tradition that my friend, my very good friend, Farmstead Knits does um every year she reads the christmas sweater um by somebody that i've totally lost the name of all of a sudden um you can get it on amazon i'll try and link that one on my on my website too i just got to remember to do it um but uh every year for her girls they read this this story and at the back of the book they've got the pictures of every single year since they were born of them wearing that year's Christmas sweater. And uh, it's conti- that tradition continues today. Who knows how many years into it? I'm not sure if she'd want me to tell you how old her girls are. Um, and I am going to do the same with my little Jimmy Bean. Every single year, he's going to get a Christmas sweater and uh, we're going to have a picture of it in the back of this book so he can uh, read it, uh, look at it and have that memory. And Jimmy and I read the book together for the very first time uh, this last weekend. Um, the day after we had put up the Christmas tree, Jimmy and I sat beneath the Christmas tree and read the Christmas sweater. And, you know, that book is not, you know, not for a six month old. Uh, it's, you know, it's a little, it's a lot longer story than he usually has the attention span for, but he sat through the entire thing and seemed to be just enthralled with all of the pictures, the, the drawings and cartoons or whatever you want to call them, illustrations. That's the word in that book. I was, I was so happy. I was like, yes, the tradition is starting. It's so wonderful. (laughs) So I'm very pleased with that project. And because it's knit in worsted weight yarn, the the and also par, probably because it is color work. I hadn't thought of this before because I actually thought that color work would hurt my hands more. But it appears that the color work motions of knitting is hurting my hands less, my thumbs and my wrists less than just knitting straight stocking knit. Um, I noticed the difference because in the sweater, of course, the body of the sweater, the majority of it is knit and stocking knit. And I noticed that my hands started to hurt pretty badly after I think it was about an inch of knitting the body and straight stocking knit. And so it, it's interesting to see that happening. Um, 
uh, Farmstead Knits also suggested to me that I get those compression gloves that have copper that run through it as copper is supposed to con help con be conducive to healing and um, of the joints and, you know, just um, the mm, flexibility of your hands and, and ligaments. And so I have those coming, but uh, sometimes mail to Alaska takes forever. And sometimes it happens overnight. Like it just seems to happen within a blink of an eye. This is one of those times, and it's probably because it's the holiday season as well, where it's taking a long time, like three to four weeks to get any packages. So I'm actually um, crossing all my fingers and toes that I'm going to get uh, the rest of my Christmas gifts in time for uh, Christmas as well. I've got some fun things coming for both Mr. Radio and Jimmy Bean um, and some really fun and hilarious things that I got for the grandparents and the aunts and uncles. But, you know, they have to get here in time. <laughs> so we shall see. Um, the other thing that I am knitting on is I was having such a good, such good luck with knitting on the sweater for Jimmy that I decided to break out one of my old projects, which is Beneath the Pines, uh, the DK version by Kalora Hudson. It's a beautiful um, lace shawl, and it just looks like it's just a like it's just been flooded maybe that's the word with pine cones and or or pine boughs and it's so beautiful um I started this back in 2018 I believe uh I'm pretty sure I think I should check my my Ravelry page I think I even still have it up let's see when did I start it no no I started it in no I just put it into my Ravelry uh, projects in 2022 in January because of our, uh, because of our, uh, what was it called? Knit, knit, knit down the projects, Cal. That's not what it was called at all. Uh, but, um, I, I had so many projects that I had never even put into Ravelry that I had to start there first. So I put that in, but I'm pretty sure I started this project I think when I lived in Kenai, which was 2019, so I'm I'm pretty sure that's when I started it. Um, so it's been quite a while. I had to figure out where I was because it is a charted pattern, and I wasn't smart and I hadn't marked where I was. I think I just had assumed that I would know because I had been so in love with that that pattern. I don't think I thought to myself that I'd put it away for a couple of years. <laughs> But uh, I did successfully find where I was in the lace pattern. Um, but I was only able to knit two rows. The purling motion was so excruciating on my hands that I had to set it aside again. I just could not do it. Um, so unfortunately, that had to go back in the project bag and put aside for a later time when I'm healed more. But you will be proud of me. I did mark where I was on the chart this time. And because I figured I probably wouldn't be there for a while, I made sure that my markings were nice and secure. I use post-it notes to mark where I am on a chart. And I made sure those things were firmly on there. I used extra tape and everything. <laughs> I did not want to make that mistake again. Um, I have some other worsted weight projects that are in my... 
um, whips. Uh, and so I'm going to bring those out and give those all a try. Most of them are going to be very difficult for me to knit because uh, either they require an, uh, a lot of um, purling or in one of my cowls that I have on the go from the yarn, uh, some yarn a friend gave me for my wedding, um, there are nups. And I'm anticipating that nups will be very painful for me. However, there aren't very many. I mean, it's not like it, like every row has a dozen nups, but there, there are sections where there are nups for a good ways. And so otherwise it's in garter stitch and some other textured patterns. So I'm like, hmm, maybe I can do that. So I did bring that project bag out, which I love that project bag. It was made for me by Farmstead Knits and uh, it's, wonderful it's a canvas bag that has a I'm thinking it's faux leather handle to it and it's so hardy and and just gorgeous all the way around I love it so much but that is what I have on the couch currently on the shelf I have one thing and one thing only, off my needles, and that is my charming muscle burrow, uh, well, just my muscle burrow hat by Isolde Teague. Um, we talked about this last episode at great length. Um, the yarn I'm using is by my very good friend Maureen of Charming You in the colorway Jing- July Jingle. Uh, I have a link to my project page on on my website. I will say that my gauge differential mattered a great more than I thought it did when last we talked. I thought it was just that things looked wonky. After blocking it, the side that I knit post my hands going wonkadoo <laughs> is a lot longer. <laughs> not not a lot, lot longer, but uh, a good like inch longer. And so it's interesting because when I wear it with that side out facing, it looks like I'm wearing one of those hipster hats that's a bit slouchy. And when I'm wearing it with the other, the the side that I knit pre wonky hands, it's a nice good skull cap. (laughs) But the wonderful thing is, is that either way, you can't tell that it was a mistake. (laughs) It just looks like a design feature either way. So I'm going to have to end it there because my little Jimmy Bean has woken up. And yes, this is right on target. It's an hour and a half after he went down to bed. So he's back up again. So I better go grab him. You better know that you're in mama's arms. Yeah. Do I say anything? No. Oh, well, you just burped. Well, there you go. Okay. I guess you'll finish the podcast with me. Yeah, that'll be okay. Personal skill set. My self-help book list. Well, my friends, before I get going, I'll just say that the podcast episode has turned into a family affair. Um, I am 
got Jimmy out of bed, gave him some little numbing agent for his gums, and he's just snuggling with Mama now in bed. And Mr. Radio will probably be joining us in a minute, and Watson is curled up next to us. So, you know, the entire clan is here. <laughs> but let's talk about the uh, my self-help book list. And I hope this is really helpful for those of you out there. Um, who have asked for this, but also any of you that are interested in uh, this self-help genre, there are a lot of, I want to call them pop culture self-help books out there. There is this idea in the publishing agency that anyone who is either A, famous, or B, has an inspiring story or um, is eloquently spoken, perhaps, can write a self-help book. That is not the case. Every single book I tell you about today has been written by a person holding a PhD in the field of mental health, social work, or neurobiology. That Please don't be daunted when I say those things. All of these books have also been written for those of you like myself who don't want to read textbooks, but also want to read about mental health and to learn and grow both with self and to understand my community at large. And so um, I've compiled my books list according to those standards. Um, Recently, like over the years, people have given me, because I'm a mental health professional, Um, people have given me a lot of mental health field or self-help field books. There are a lot of really popular ones like the FU Feelings book. Someone gave that to me when I lived back in Portland. I had it on my shelf. I never cracked it open because I just, I like, I just, I couldn't bring myself to do it. It wasn't written by a professional from the field. It was written by somebody who just fancied themselves pithy. And so, you know, I just couldn't do it. And there are some others like that. Um, I can't think of them at the moment. I actually have recently gone through my my bookshelf and gotten rid of anything and everything that I saw as more pop culture self-help. And that wouldn't be, first off, wouldn't be something that I would want my any of my loved ones to read because I feel like they have a lot of misinformation in them, but also nothing that I want to read. You know, I never want to revisit any of those books, even if I had read them. So I just got them off my shelf and just my core ones are on there. And my list today does not encompass my entire library. I am only listing the ones here that I find, I think would be um, I guess maybe a starting off point or a good core library or, hmm, yeah, like if you, if I did have to pare down my mental health self-help bookshelf just to a, a set number of books, it would be the ones that I'm talking about today. So with all that being said, let's start off with perhaps the most well-known author, Brene Brown. I'm sure a lot of you have heard of them, of, of, not, of not them, of her. Uh, Brene Brown is holds a PhD in social work. And some of you might say that she's kind of like this pop culture-ish um, author in the mental health field. But, and I would agree with you in some sense, but I wouldn't agree with you 
in the larger sense, because everything Brene Brown writes about has been based off of her very long running study around the topics of shame, compassion, um, love, uh, what, um, belonging, that's the word, and community. And uh, she first started out studying the female conception of shame and how it manifested in the fe- in females. And her very first book was all about that. Uh, but then she uh, was actually confronted by somebody in one of her book signing events that was a male who was saying, I love your books. My, my, my wife and my daughters love your books. Why don't you ever write about this from a male understanding, right? Like we feel shame. We have a hard time in life. Why are, why are we not represented here? And that really took her aback and she started studying about that. And she, you know, um, uh, started coming out with books that were very much more all-encompassing and inclusive. So with that being said, I'm going to talk about, is it three or do I have four listed? Uh, three of her books list here. Um, her latest book now I've lost the name of it is the map is it called the map of love something like that or the history of love it's ex- extremely gorgeous book I've read snippets out of that book it's a great coffee table book I haven't read the book from cover to cover and thus I did not include this in my list but I did think that that was that w- that could I, I almost put it down but because I hadn't actually finished reading that book I didn't feel like I should be recommending it to you, you know? So all of these books that I am recommending to you, I have read at least once, if not multiple times. So there you go. So the first one I will recommend to you is Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. You may be surprised if those of you who know Brene Brown's works uh, that I'm starting much later in her catalog of books. Um, I Here's the thing. Brene Brown is a great author. She's very engaging, very personable. But a lot of her books are repetitious because she talks about her study, studies so much, but, you know, she brings them forward into her next work. So uh, I am starting in the middle of her catalog and moving forward from there because I still feel like you will get the essence of her message starting here rather than having to start all the way from the beginning oh you okay love yeah anyway back to daring greatly this is an awesome book this book i actually recommend to most professionals in the social work field uh if you are a manager in any profession this is a great book to read it's very empowering to find not only your own voice but your own style to approach life, love, learning, parenthood, but also uh, managing styles, uh, which I found fascinating. And I really like it. Um, I actually have led a book club on two of her books. This is uh, at my current job. And this is one of the books that I had the managers and directors and the what we call the C-suite of people at my organization read. And we had a book discussion group for a couple months on this. Um, it uh, C-suite means like chief operating officer, CEO, 
chief program officer, chief financial officer, chief giving officer, I think is her title, I think. Um, so um, it takes a lot of people, a lot of chiefs to run a nonprofit organization, you know? <laughs> so uh, this book really looks at what it takes to be greatly, uh, to be, uh, to dare greatly in our lives, right? To have courage is something that we all have. But in my opinion, um, at, well, actually, in my opinion, we exhibit it every day. It's just that do we recognize it when we utilize it? And I feel like this book really helps hone in on things that uh, take a courageous effort on our part. Like it might seem daunting to us or we might be uh, nervous about doing something Well, or scared even to do something. Well, that takes courage then to do that thing, especially when you feel like it's right and it's going against um, what the status quo currently is, right? Um, I just wanted to list a couple of quotes that I found most powerful from this book. And I'll do that a couple times with some of the books. Yeah, you can come and take Jimmy if you want, honey. You can join us too if you want. Um, he might be hungry, yeah. Uh, one of the quotes is, Courage starts with showing up and, let, and letting ourselves be seen. Another quote is, because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world, our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. So that's from Benet Brown. And actually, that quote right there kind of foreshadows one of her later books, which I'll talk about in a, in a minute or so, which is, I'll just tell you now, um, the one that it foreshadows is... Um, actually my all-time favorite book of Brene Brown's. Anyway, the next book I will recommend is Rising Strong. So this is her follow-up book to Daring Greatly, and there are some repetitive repetitive aspects um, to her earlier book, and honestly, um, quite a few of her earlier works, but this book, I feel, also builds on the Daring Greatly book, and I feel really lends itself well to be read after Daring Greatly. Um, in this book, let's see. So the main difference between this book and Daring Greatly um, is that she really wanted to hone in on, uh, with her research, on the differences or the commonalities, I should say, between those she researched and when they exhibited courage and vulnerability and the big one, resilience. And what was the common aspect between all of those people or their characteristics that perhaps was different than your common person? Or were those aspects being exhibited in those of us that are common people, common folk, and maybe we just weren't recognizing it? Hint, hint, telling you know a little bit about the book. I love this book because um, being vulnerable, I, we actually had a whole episode on that. I can't remember what the episode to, uh, number was. It was probably a couple of years ago now. But uh, we haven't had an episode on being courageous. and we, uh, But we have a head on vulnerability. And vulnerability is extremely hard to do. You think you're doing it when you're being truthful or when you're sharing a tender moment with people. And you are doing that. But at the same time, there's usually still a secret barrier that we have up um, that lets 
uh, that keeps us from from showing our core true selves. And so she talks about all of that in this book. And I really love it. One of the things that I find most powerful, though, about this book are the stories that she shares from the people that she, she researched. Obviously, she must have gotten release of information, you know, clauses from all of these people to include them. But I really like it because it gives me, you know, tangible stories and real life events to attribute to these concepts and um, ideas that she puts forth in the book. Here you are, Daddy. Here's your little Jim Jim. All right, now, lastly, of Brene Brown's is my ultimate favorite. And actually, I got really scared because when I was compiling my book list, I couldn't find this on my shelf. And, you know, it was hidden down under in my um, uh, side table, my night table. Uh, so I had it all along. I didn't have to worry. But this one is called Braving the Wilderness. Um, so I'm going to start this one off by explaining why I love this book so much by telling you a little bit more about, about me. So I have always longed to belong, to belong to somebody, to belong to a group, to have a full feeling of no matter what I say, what I do, I will be loved, accepted, and not judged, honestly, right? Um, I was frustrated for most of my life because I always felt like I was just standing at one step away from those people around me. I had a lot of friends. I have a huge family. And yet I never truly felt like anybody really, truly knew me. And even the people that were my, like my best friends, I felt like they still didn't really get me all the way. And I was always scared that if I let down that last little barrier, that I would be judged and, um, what's the word? Abandoned. And to tell you the truth, that did indeed happen to a couple of my friends that I thought were my best and longest friends when I, uh, when I was in my late thirties, that indeed did happen. Anyway, um, it was not until I went through my biggest crisis or trauma in my life that I sort of came to this place of, I don't give a dang, you know, but use the other word anymore, what people think of me. If they don't like me, that's their problem. All right, that's sort of a good place to be. But can you hear the anger in that statement? Right? I don't give a blank about what other people think of me. If they don't like me, that's their problem, not mine, right? There's a lot of anger and resentment and fear wrapped up in that statement. So I started acting out and acting up in a way. I started saying, I don't care what people think of me. I'm going to be me. But I wasn't doing it from a true self-encompassing, loving, compassionate place. I was doing it from a place of anger and screw you world kind of mentality. It wasn't productive. And it wasn't until I moved back home here to Alaska and I had a little bit more time of crisis in my life at that time, all self-imposed at that point, not the other things that we won't go into. Um, 
that I finally started the healing process. That a lot of credit goes to my um, psychologist that I had at the time. Um, and a lot of um, <laughs> kind of harsh therapy that I went through. I mean, my my psychologist was not pulling the punches with me. And I needed that. I needed to wake up. And it was at that time that he recommended that I read this book. And I was like, oh, I've read Brene Brown. I don't want to read the same thing again. Uh, but luckily, I did my homework, if you will. And I got the book and I read it. And oh, my gosh, like this was speaking to everything that I wanted in life and everything that I was so afraid I could never have, i.e. belonging. And, but she also talks about having the courage to stand alone. Like if, if your, if your convictions don't align with other people, still having the courage to stand up for your values or your belief system. Um, so this book to me was incredibly painful to read the first time round. incredibly painful. It's still written in her easygoing style with lots of stories and lots of references to her research, but it was, it was hard for me to take in because it, it spoke to my soul. It spoke to everything that I wanted and I felt like I could never have. Um, but I, I started down the path um, of, of, of that with a more compassionate, self-compassionate viewpoint towards myself, accepting the fact that I was not perfect, that I, yes, I had brought on a lot of hardship in my own life, but some of it wasn't my fault, right? Some of the biggest moments in my life that brought me the most pain were not my fault, and I could not have done anything to have changed that, those things happening, but I could change how I lived my life from that moment forward, and if I wanted to belong I had to start with myself. I had to accept myself and love myself, foibles and all. And Mr. Radio just gave me an eyebrow wiggle and a smile because I think he kind of knows what's happening next. I met you like six weeks after I first read this book, maybe less. I was just smiling because you said foibles. Oh, geez. Here I thought he was thinking deep thoughts, but no. You use fun words. <laughs> Yes, yes, fun words. Um, and I found my place. No matter what I do, no matter what I say, no matter how I present myself, Mr. Radio thinks I'm beautiful. He accepts me for who I am. He doesn't judge me. Um, I could use other words too, but he's like, he's my place. And now Jimmy's my place. I have found my place of belonging. I have found my people. And it feels so, pardon my French, damn good. And there you go. I cussed once. Yeah. I do want to read, actually, one quote, which I think is, honestly, encompasses the entire book. It's actually on the dust cover of this book. So I'm going to read this quote to you from Brene Brown. True belonging requires us to believe in and belong to ourselves so fully that we can find um, sacredness, sacredness both in being a part of something and in standing alone when necessary. But in a culture 
that's rife with perfectionism and pleasing. And with the corrosion of civility, it's easy to stay quiet, hide in our ideological bunklers, or fit in rather than show up as our true selves and brave the wilderness of uncertainty and criticism. But true belonging is not something we negotiate or accomplish with others. It's a daily practice that demands integrity and authenticity. It's a personal commitment that we can carry in our hearts. Brene Brown. Okay, now on to another author. Um, uh, this next author is probably one of my favorite authors in the self-help realm. Oh my goodness. Actually, oh, it's hard to actually say that she's my ultimate favorite because the one after that I talk about, uh, is also top tier. Uh, so yeah, anyway, take that for what you will. Uh, the first one I'll talk about is True Refuge by Tara Brock. She also holds a PhD. She is also a Buddhist monk. Well, not, sorry, not a Buddhist monk. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whoa, that was awkward. No, but she is Buddhist and she has a deep spiritual undertone. Uh, maybe not even undertone, pretty prominent in all of her writings. Uh, but she's also extremely accepting. She doesn't push her beliefs on you. I am not Buddhist, um, but I do greatly admire many of their teachings, actually all of their teachings that I've come across it's like, um, but I'm not Buddhist, right? But all of her books have a strong thread of Buddhism that run through it. Why? Because she teaches about, or she talks about compassion, self-compassion, introspective, and mindfulness, really using mindfulness and meditation to get at the true core essence of yourself. So, um, Let's see. Uh, But, you know, Brene, I'm sorry, not Brene, Uh, Tara Brock, she also has stories that she interweaves throughout her, her writings. And, you know, I will say, actually, probably the reason why I wanted to list this next is because I did read this book, True Refuge, for the first time, right after I read Brave in the Wilderness. And it was totally by happenstance that I did that. But, I found, so I've already said that Braving the Wilderness is an amazing book and that it was incredibly painful for me to read the first time through, but it was awesome. Then to go from that book to True Refuge, I found so much peace and calm (laughs) and dare I say refuge in its pages that this book probably holds the most uh, the dearest place in my heart of all the books, because I felt just at peace. Now this book does have some textbook aspects to it, if you will, because Tara Brock, she not only talks about research, she talks about the concepts, she talks about the ideas, Um, She does some of it in an academia voice. She does some of it in a kind of like journal writing style, uh, retrospective style, but uh, not just scattered throughout, you know, totally like flooded throughout this book. Um, She's got invitations for meditative activities for you to do as the reader. Those were the ones that really helped me. I can take out all of the things that Tara Brock said in the book, as long as you leave these activities, I will be golden the rest of my life. Like, 
those, those just, yeah, they just bring so much peace. And so I love this book. Uh, the next one is also by Tara Brock. Uh, I won't talk about it in depth, but I do love it a lot. It's called Radical Compassion, again by Tara Brock. So this is her most latest release. I have skimmed through most of this book, but I haven't read it in its entirety. And I know earlier I said I won't list anything that I haven't read all the way. But I've read so much of this book that I feel like I've read all of it, <laughs> even though I know that I truly haven't. <laughs> okay, but anyway. Um, so I've read passages from this book, I, I don't want to say daily, but while I was pregnant, I read from this book constantly. It lived on my nightstand, but I never read it in order. It's almost as if it was kind of um, a meditated spiritual journey for me. Like I would just randomly open the page and I could read a snippet and feel filled. Feel, 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 filled. Boy, I can't say that. It was just, it just, it was just great. Uh, because compassion is also something that I struggle with, not for other people, but for myself. And so she talks about radical compassion community-wide, but also for the self. And I, I just I really enjoy this book. Okay, the next one is kind of another hard one, actually. Uh, the Body Keeps the Score by Be Bessel van der, van der Kock. There we go. Bessel van der Kock. I can never say his name right the first time. This man is a genius. He is probably the leading authority on trauma and how it um, how it affects the body and the brain. So neurobiology. And this book, which came out in 2017, I think, maybe it was 2016. Um, so a good while ago, uh, still holds up to the research that's been coming out over and over and over again. So the premise of this book is that trauma does impact both your physical body and your brain. And we know that to be fact. We know that trauma, especially early childhood trauma, can affect how healthy a person is later on in life. It can affect whether or not you get things like second, uh, wait, diabetes, um, late onset diabetes, uh, if you have migraines, if you have gastrointestinal problems, or IBS, or if you have acne, teeth problems, um, so many other things, uh, arthritis, so many things. We like we know that trauma can impact, and often ninety nine percent of the time does affect the body and does in fact change the shape of a person's brain function. It changes how many neurons fire off, whether they are alive or deadened. It changes the pathways that your neurons fire off within your brain, i.e. it changes how you react or your behaviors to situations. So this book is difficult because Dr. Vanderkolk does not pull punches and he tells things like it is. He does that also in real life. I have attended multiple conferences from the Trauma Institute, which he is the founder of. Um, I've attended multiple conferences of his 
uh, online because it's all been since COVID started. So I've, I've never met the man in person. I've taken workshops with him again online. This man does not pull punches. He tells you like it is. He cusses a blue streak, but he doesn't really, he doesn't cuss in the book. Sorry. Sorry. He doesn't do that in the book. Um, and you know, you, you, you know, he's a gruff man, an incredibly intelligent man, and also an incredibly compassionate and empathetic man. I have been astounded at the empathy he has shown to individuals in uh, the workshops and the in the workshops and the the things that I've attended with him. Uh, it's just been great. I oftentimes wish that he was my mentor. Boy, howdy, I would toughen up and be soft as marshmallow with that man the rest of my life. It's just great. Hi, Jimmy B. Oh, you're happy now. <laughs> you got daddy nice and close. Yeah. Do you want to say hi to everybody? <gasps> boop, 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 boop. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> you want to smile? Can you laugh? <laughs> he's smiling and trying to grab the phone, but he's in his sleep suit, so he does. Oh, yeah, yeah, you go. Okay, we'll stop trying to make him talk. So, enough enough said about that one, I think, for now. Okay, the next one uh, is another great favorite of mine. I list her right up there with uh, Tara Brock, um, is Kristen Neff, who also has a PhD. You see, guys, I've told you, every, I think every author I'm mentioning has a PhD. So they have gone through the work. They've done the studies. They, like, literally, all of these works that I'm talking about have been based off of people's actual psych- psychological studies in the field of mental health. Okay? So it's not pipe, pop psychology. Okay, so this next one is Self-Compassion by Kristen Neff. This is her original book. It's amazing. It's gentle. It's loving. It She uh, describes to you the true concept or her hypothesis that she had that then developed into an actual theory of what self-compassion is. And actually from this book, she um, created an, an entire uh, workshop that you can take online right now. I can't remember how much it is. I, don't, I think it's maybe 100 to $200 to take it online, but it is a long workshop. Like we're talking weekly for, I think, six to eight weeks. I have not yet taken this workshop. I want to. It's on my bucket list. I always come up with excuses. I came up with the ex- excuse that I had pregnancy brain before. I have the excuse right now that I'm working too much and I can't, my brain just can't function that way right now. Who knows what my next excuse will be, but I really, uh, you know, it's probably just all fear-based because again, self-compassion is a journey of self-discovery and that's a scary thing. It's probably the scariest thing you will, no, yeah, it is the scariest thing you will do in your entire life to know thyself is the hardest and scariest thing to do in this world. I don't care if you've been bungee jumping. I don't care if you've jumped off out of a plane. I don't, you know, I don't care if you've like like me gone through cancer or had extreme traumas happen to you. Knowing yourself is the hardest and scariest thing. Um, 
I have linked in my show notes one of my favorite videos of Dr. Neff talking about her theory of self-compassion, and she goes through it great. Um, I use this video in my trainings because I do actually teach an entire series on self-compassion to my uh, co-workers at work, Um, and I use this one all the time. Uh, The next book is also by Kristen Neff. And this one actually just came out last year, I want to say. It's called Fierce Self-Compassion. And she actually wrote this in response to the Me Too movement. Um, And it's a fascinating work. It really is. Um, It talks about uh, self-compassion, acceptance, and honesty. She explores, oh, this was the most fascinating thing, actually, now that I'm rereading my notes and remembering things. She talks about the yin and yang of self-compassion. And that alone, for that alone, I would buy this book, The Yin and Yang of of Self-Compassion. Fascinating stuff. I'm not going to get into it because then I would spoil it for you. But like, oh, I love that theory so much. It's great. Um, And she talks about probably one of my favorite, though, chapters in the book is chapter five, and that's entitled Holding Ourselves Tenderly. And in that chapter, she explores love, connection, and presence. And at the end of every chapter, she invites the reader to an activity of mindfulness or a journal activity or some some sort of activity to explore the concepts uh, discussed in the chapter more in depth. Love it. Okay, next book, Resilient by Rick Hansen. Also, PhD. Um, So resiliency is a hard topic, and it took me a really long time to try and figure out what it was. In essence, resiliency is the ability to bounce back after a difficult time. Um, My concept of resiliency has changed over the years, some of it to uh, in direct response to my reading of this work, some of it to my life experiences. But Every person has resiliency. This is, okay, this is the gospel according to Emily now, okay? Every person has resiliency within them to one degree or another. Um, you might be a person who comes on hard, uh, a hard situation or hard times, and it takes you years to come back from that. Other people, it may take them moments, days, maybe a couple months, but they come back. So just because it takes you a few years does not mean that you're not resilient. It just means that it take it, you're, it takes a lot longer for you to build that that back up again. Those people who are more resilient can come back to this area of life is good. I can do this. Let's grab the bull by the horns mentality a little quicker. That's not to say that they're better than you. If you're the other way, okay. Um. One of his uh, uh, one of his concepts in this book is about refuge, and I'll just read. I'll close this one out. Uh, this talk about this his book here with a quote from that: "A refuge is anything that protects, nurtures, or uplifts you. Life can be hard, and everyone has difficult, uncomfortable experiences. We all need refuges. Where are your own? What are your own?" Some refuges are intangible, like memories. All right. All right.
I technically have three more books to talk about in this section. I'm going to be pretty quick on all of those. Um, the first one is Buddha's Brain by, again, Rick Hansen. Um, and uh, after reading Resilient, I wanted to read, you know, I, I wanted to read more by, by this man. And I discovered Buddha's brain. And again, I'm not Buddhist, but I found the concepts both in the book both fast in the book fascinating. So Hansen combines neuroscience and some of the greatest teachers, including Buddha, to look at the power of thought and uh, uh, thought and your mind to create a deeper connection with yourself, your loved ones, and the world around you, and honestly to empower you to make your deepest longings of acceptance a reality. So I also enjoyed this book because while not written at an academic level, Hansen writes for those who want to both learn academically and internally for self-reflection. So it also, again, provides a number of activities and useful work. All right, last few books, both by uh, Lisa Barrett. Again, a doctor, PhD. Uh, the first one is fascinating. It's called How Emotions Are Made. And the second book is called Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain. All right, so Dr. Barrett, in both of these books, takes neuroscience uh, and gives it to us um, in a tangible way that we can really understand how our emotions develop, where they come from, like what goes into creating an emotion. Like you don't just automatically feel anger. First off, that was something that was developed inside you over a lifetime, but also there is a process that your body goes through to then create that anger. Yes, it takes nanoseconds to do that oftentimes, but there is a process nonetheless. Um, and in seven and a half lessons about the brain, uh, what did I write there? Um, she talks about how your brain must figure out. Oh, yes. Oh, sorry. For a minute there, I totally forgot what this one was about. This, this one's also fascinating. So she takes this concept that your brain has to figure out the meanings of all the scraps of information that's coming at you and comparing them with your past experiences and then it constructs a simulation of what your brain anticipates will happen next. So, okay, maybe I'm not explaining this very well. Okay, so your brain learns that from a single cue, like the raising of an eyebrow, A, what that might mean by, in the person that you're observing, and what might come next. Maybe a sarcastic remark, maybe an oh yeah kind of thing, right? But your brain processes and kind of almost tries to predetermine or foreshadow or, gosh, she uses this word. What is it called? Pre, pre, oh, I forgot the word. But um, uh, to try and guess what happened, what's going to happen next. This book is really awesome, really awesome. Um, and honestly, I kind of wish that it was one of the books that I had to read while I was in um, my master's program, but it wasn't. Actually, I don't even think it was out then. I can't remember when it came out, but uh, I, if you're interested at all in how your brain works, yes, I already talked about 
The Body Keeps the Score by Dr. Bessel van Vanderkoek. Kok, Kok, I don't know how he says his last name, I forget. Um, but, like, if you truly want to have, like, some more, like, technical understanding of your brain and the neurobiology of it all, oh, this good book is good. Again, that's Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain by Lisa Barrett. All linked in my, uh, on my website, Between Knits and Pearls, under uh, episode 62. Oh, crap. There was two more books. All right. Really, really fast. Super fast. Uh, The Untethered Soul by Michael A. Singer. This book, actually, I don't know if it was an Oprah book club book or if it, if he was, if Oprah just really liked him. She actually had him on her, uh, like, these intimate moments thing where she filmed, like, in her backyard kind of a thing with this person. Um. That wasn't where I first heard about this book. I I actually came across those videos later when I was trying to find some of these concepts in the book to include in a training I, I was giving. And uh, so uh, I never did find a video snippet from those discussions with Oprah that I could use in my training, but still the videos are pretty fascinating and fun. Uh, but one of my favorite passages from this book is, what exactly does it mean to stop? It's something you do inside. It's called letting go. When you let go, you are falling behind the energy that is trying to pull you into it. Your energies inside have power. I'll leave it there because I'm trying to be quick, okay? Lastly, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. This is a classic. Uh, It was first published in 1997, and this book is a journey into the ego and the higher self. And it's at once intense and beautiful. Um, Luckily, the book is organized in vignettes that make it easier to, um, or to have bite-sized insights, to like take it in a little bit at a time rather than all at once, big chunks. So, and that, my friend, is my bookshelf, my self-help bookshelf. Um, I really hope that you enjoyed my discussion of these, some of my insights in, in why these are some of my favorite books. I didn't go into all of them, but um, I, I think that if you have these books on your bookshelf, you have a good, solid psycho- psychology library, not a pop culture, not pop psychology uh, bookshelf. And uh, I, so I really encourage you to look at these. I hope one or two of them maybe spoke to you about maybe something you're trying to discover within yourself. And I really encourage you to take a look at them. All right. And that is personal skill set. A time for Hugo. Yeah, there's Jim Bean in the background. All right. So We've been talking about books this episode, and so, you know, reading is a beautifully simple way to incorporate Hugo into your life. So reading is indulgent, it's exploratory, exploitative even, uh, comforting, nostalgic, exciting, emotional, and can evoke your imagination. So what could be more Hugo, more indulgent, right? Uh, reading doesn't have to be some complex or uh, ritual that you go through. You can simply jump into bed, 
pull the book out of your bookstand and dive in. You don't have to make it a complicated thing. You could, however, if you really wanted to, you could uh, include some more um, more ritualistic things. You could light a few candles. You could curl up on the couch under a snuggly blanket. You could have a hot cup of something. You could have uh, a sugary sweet homemade baked good to eat you could dim the lights so on and so forth you could make it very ritualistic and enhance the comfort and quality of reading enhancing the Hugo moment but I mean every time I open a book I'm immediately transported into my safe beautiful comforting place well okay I shouldn't say safe you know <laughs> reading always is not is not always safe but, you know, maybe my indulgent space. My mind is untethered. It just runs free through the pages. I learn, I grow, I indulge myself. Because you all know, I love historical romances. And since Jimmy's been born, boy, howdy, am I devouring my historical romances and my fa- fantasy books. Like, I'm rereading books from when I was, you know, a teenager or younger. Speaking of, reading doesn't always have to be between the pages of a book. Nowadays, with with technology, you have audiobooks or podcasts. There you go. Um, I have taken a great comfort in audiobooks since Jimmy's come along. I don't have a lot of time to spend reading, um, especially during the day. After Jimmy goes to bed, I can curl up beside him. Yeah, well, because you know he sleeps in his bassinet beside the bed, and I can curl up with a good book. But during the day. Excuse me, Mr. Pterodactyl. Excuse me. Daddy, can you hold him, please? Um, uh, during the day, I often, uh, well, I can never <laughs> pick up a book to read, unless, of course, it's one of those little books for Jimmy. So I've relied heavily on my audio library, and I have actually found quite a few of my books from my teenage years, some of my favorite books, um, like Mercedes Lackey, her entire series, uh, Arrows of the Queen, are on audio, and I have listened to all of those now because I read them when I was a teenager. I read them every single year between the ages of 12 to, like, 26. Um, I read them every single year, ritualistically, if you will. <laughs> um, and now I got to revisit them because of audiobooks. Um, reading... Uh, also could be an individual solitary activity. It could be a group activity. You could join a book club, right? Um, book clubs are wonderful ways to bring people of various backgrounds and perspectives into the same space. So in the past few months, my niece has created a book club for our family. So it doesn't sound like we would have different perspectives, right? So what fun would that be, right? Huh? Wait for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, each month, we meet together at one of our houses, and we discuss the latest book offering. We also indulge in some absolutely delicious goodies made by whoever's hosting that month. And one thing that I have been amazed by is that though we are all members of the same family, we have varying viewpoints of the books that we read. So I'll give you an example of that. Last month for, was it November? I think it was technically October, but we had the book club in early November because that's kind of how it runs. Um, 
we read The Hound of the Baskervilles by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Boy, howdy. I'm getting tired, guys. Um, and I actually kind of struggled reading this book. And by the way, I, I listened to this on audio as well. And I kind of struggled reading it, uh, to tell you the truth, because I found it so incredibly chauvinistic. I found, <laughs> some of you might hate me for saying this, but I found Sherlock Holmes to be quite the pompous doodad. I actually had a really hard time with it. Um, I vaguely have memories of my mom reading us some Sherlock Holmes short stories back when I was younger. But I never actually sat down and read for myself any of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's books. Now, The Hand of the Baskervilles is, I don't know if it's his most popular or most famous, but also it's um, supposed to be one of its his scariest books. And I can see that. It's got great scary moments in it. It also has moments of a lot of chauvinistic viewpoints. The way they speak about women, the way they dismiss women, or the one woman that is actually in this book drove me crazy. And I voiced that at our book club. That opinion was not well liked by my family members, especially my sister and my mom. They uh, talk, uh, they spoke out about how we should not impose our modern viewpoints within a story that was written back in the Victorian era. And I could totally see what they were talking about. However, it did not remove the metallic taste of disappointment from my mouth. But that's what book clubs are all about. Differing views coming together to discuss one book. And it is it can be very exciting or it could be uh, kind of boring. But I've never had a boring moment at book club. Then again, I'm rather an excitable person. <laughs> kind of theatrical. So, you know, I liven up any room I'm in, right? But this evening was especially full of lively debate, but also full of love and laughter, all things that are Hugo. Contemplation Corner. So let's end this episode with the quote that I read from Brene Brown earlier, because it bears repeating. True belonging requires us to believe in and belong to ourselves so fully that we can find sacredness both in being a part of something and in standing alone when necessary. But in a culture that's rife with perfectionism and pleasing, with the erosion of civility, it's easy to stay quiet, hide in our ideological bunkers, or fit in rather than show up as our true selves and brave the wilderness of uncertainty and criticism. But true belonging is not something we negotiate or accomplish with others. It's a daily practice that demands integrity and authenticity. It's a personal commitment that we carry in our hearts. Brene Brown. Well, my friends, our time together has come to a close for another episode of Little Cabin Knits. Thank you so much for joining me as I journey down the path of my bookshelf of self-help books. I really loved revisiting these books, and there's quite a few of them that I thought that I would look up on Audible now to see if I could uh, 
find them there. And guess what? All of them on Audible. All of them. And I really had to hold myself back to not click and get all of them. I did download Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown because I wanted to revisit that one, but I didn't want to read it. So that one's now in my Audible library for me to, to uh, look at soon. Um, so I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year. I'll probably talk to you before the New Year, but still, have a good holiday season, my friends. And remember to knit what you love and love what you knit. Ta-ta for now.